0: You are listening to the EnormoCast.
1: The EnormoCast is proud to be partnered with Sportiva. And here's the thing. There's only one shoe that has climbed the hardest routes on El Cap, including something called the Dawn Wall. And that shoe is the TC Pro, designed by Tommy Caldwell and produced in a hollowed out volcano in Italy by blind zoastrian nuns. These are the shoes that our friend Hayden Kennedy once called crampons for granite. But the TC Pro is just one of so many legendary shoes in the Sportiva line. The Miras, the Testarosses, the Solutions, the Mythos, and something new called the Squama. What's a Squama? Who cares? It's Italian. So please support the EnormaCast by going to sportiva.com or your favorite climbing retailer to check out the full line of Sportiva shoes And then quit screwing around and buy a pair. And come play with the big kids. Does your partner suffer from tried again syndrome? Or one hangitis? Or even worse, delusional performance disorder? Well, there really isn't a cure for DPD, except for a good smackdown. But it does probably mean that you've been belaying them for hours and hours on end and are now suffering from BNP, or belayer neck pain. A stiffness in the cervical spine just below the occipital region of your thick, thick skull. But now there's a cure for BNP resulting from DPD. Ask your doctor about belay specs. And when he doesn't know what the hell you're talking about, just smile and tuck that prescription for opiates away for your next overseas plane flight. But then ask several strangers about belay specs. Ask that cute barista at the coffee shop on the corner about belay specs. In fact, ask everyone you know about Belay Specs. Keep talking about Belay Specs until nobody wants to climb with you anyway. Problem solved. But if that doesn't work, then go to BelaySpecs.com and get yourself a pair. And don't forget to enter Enormocast at checkout for a discount and to help out the podcast. Side effects may include people thinking you're staring at them when you're not. Old track runners rolling their eyes. People putting them on for the first time and saying, ooh, that's trippy. People insisting they don't like those weird glasses even though they've never even tried them. If you feel drowsy, nauseous, rumbling in your stomach, horny, confused, or have strange, vivid dreams, this probably has nothing to do with Belay Specs, and it's more likely from that bug you picked up in that backpacker's hostel in Rio, after five too many caipariñas. BelaySpecs.com. Say adeus to Blair Neck Pain. We gotta get Listen, we uh, right? uh, uh, are you playing in town? Are, are you playing
0: here? We're doing
1: the, uh, the normal Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh it's yeah, big place that of town. That's a big nice. place. You sold it oh, out. Oh, i We really should... Look, you better get up there before you panic, so those pens are loose. <laughs> you're very good. I have really enjoyed family with you. We'll make it. I don't think so. But we shall continue with style. Good weather. Bad weather. Now or later, anytime. <laughs> Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment with support from Maxim Ropes. And the fine folks at La Sportiva. And don't forget our charter sponsor, Bonfire Coffee. Go to bonfirecoffee.com and enter Enorma at checkout for a discount on Great Coffee and to support the Enorma cast And now back to the show. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the EnormaCast. This is your host Chris Kalous. It is about 7:30 Mountain Daylight Time, whatever they call the time after it switches. A listener corrected me on that, and every time I do this intro now I think of you, sir. It is also March 22nd, which makes it springtime. So that's cool. And this is episode 101, Room 101 of the Enormicast for you literary fans. Although An interview with Justin Wood may not constitute your ultimate fear, unless, of course, you're Nick Barry. Justin Wood is on the podcast today, local SLC climber, and we'll talk a little bit more about Justin before we get to the interview. First, a little bit of business. I do want to bring up that the Black Diamond Rock Project has a few dates this year again, and the couple spring dates are coming up. And I believe the registration opens next week, which is why I'm going to let you know about it. Kind of intimate events. There's actually limited space in those and I think last year most of them sold out the gigs sold out you sold it out anyway there's one coming up in Las Vegas on the uh, 7th and 8th of May and one coming up in Los Angeles on the 14th and 15th so go to accessfund.org I think slash rock project tour anyway go check out the access fund site even though BD puts it on it's over there and uh, sign up If you want to check it out, there's clinics, a party, they kind of do this sort of like gym to crag kind of information, which a lot of folks actually email me about fairly frequently about just kind of having started in the gym and how to get outside. So that's kind of the bent of the rock project plus stewardship, which is another thing that um, more and more I've been involved with over the years and I encourage other people to get involved with because community, man, it's what this thing is all about. I've learned that from doing the EnormaCast, so check it out. Okay, the other thing I want to mention is that Five Point Film Festival is coming up here in Carbondale again. um, I think it's the 21st, 22nd, 23rd, that weekend in April, and on the morning of the 22nd, if you happen to be in town, I will be uh, doing a live EnormaCast at the Bonfire Coffee downtown Carbondale. Very easy to find, just in the middle of... Main Street, basically. Um, Yeah, I think, uh, I don't know what time it's scheduled for. Who cares? Just figure it out if you happen to be here. I think it's like 10 a.m. Come drink some coffee. I have no idea who my guests are. I usually figure that out the night before. But in the past, it's been a lot of fun. Um, I'll also be emceeing that night, I believe. And I'm even playing the after party, Friday night. So if you're here for Five Point, make sure and come and say hello. A lot of you folks have in the past. It's been real nice. So 22nd of April five point film festival go to five no five for information about that great so the date is the 22nd did i mention that in the beginning Well, the important thing about it being the 22nd is we're two days past the normal baby's due date normal Baby actually acted like he was going to come out this morning, but um, he did not. And they sent us home. So now we are on high alert for him to be decamping from his sweet Bibby and uh, joining us here in the cold, cruel world. So, yeah, high alert. Um, you know, evolution or God's plan, if you're into that sort of thing, or the alien seeding of the race really has made pregnancy a lot easier for the gentleman. just hate to say it. Um, I've actually been getting a lot done lately, waiting for the normal Baby to show up. Even this podcast, which I felt like skipping for my second skip, I felt like I had a pretty good reason. But anyway, going to try to squeeze it out, not unlike the normal Baby. Oh, and thanks a lot for all of the uh, kind wishes about the upcoming baby. None of you are as shocked as my parents were. Also, thanks so much for all the congratulations on episode 100. I feel kind of bad because Justin's tucked in behind that monster episode. But got a lot of great responses, a lot of donations. Folks really came through. Yeah, that was awesome. I think it was a little bit of a high water point for the podcast. Thanks to Tommy Caldwell and thanks to all you guys' responses to that show. But yeah, poor Justin Wood's got to follow that up. So who's Justin Wood? Not necessarily a household name but also not an everyman. He's sort of in between. And I get uh, emails all the time from folks who are either announcing that they're uh, breaking the chains from their desk, from their cubicle, or busting the walls down and they're hitting onto the road to become a climber, the person they've always dreamed of becoming. Either that or they're asking me, how is it done? How can I do this, Caloose? Anyway, I think in a lot of ways Justin embodies Just the right mix of not giving it all up and ending up under a bridge somewhere, mumbling beta to a traffic cone, but still casting off those fetters of society and jobs and paychecks to become better than you are. So, this conversation with Justin Wood is philosophical. We talk a fair bit about how to kind of walk that line of living that life in a van and traveling the world, but also, you know, still going to school and getting some things done, having a roof over your head every once in a while. Kind of the embodiment of, I think, what a lot of climbers think of as the dream. Is Justin Wood living the dream? I think he is. And he's a darn good climber to boot. So I hope you enjoy this one. Salt Lake City climber, Justin Wood. Well, folks, it looks like ice climbing is on its last gasp here in Colorado. And hopefully your masochistic tendencies have turned to joyful interaction at the cliffs. To that end, remember that Ure, Colorado has rock climbing, spring skiing access, and probably some gross dark gullies that stay frozen long after the rest of the mountains have given in to the happiness of summer. So if you end up in Ure, Colorado for any type of adventure this spring, or if you just want to go there to relax, remember that the v offers affordable luxury with great rooms and brilliant hot springs, including that. Wait for it. Strange dark. Steamy underworld soaking experience. More information at dot com. That's vspadenhot And for your information, vspoden starts with a W.
0: Before the party for the evening, we we're just out cruising, doing some trad climbing. And this dude came up with this lady, and we're at kind of the base of this multi pitch crag. And he's like, Hey, are you justin wood and i was like wow yeah i am and he's like yeah i'm justin wood also i was like well i've heard of you he's like yeah i've heard of you right i get confused with you all the time like nice well you guys
1: i mean he probably lucks out and it's like people think he climbs like v12 or whatever just he just always, like, Yeah, just- <laughs> it's like the most well because he's what i read on the internet he's like uh alpine guide right yeah. yeah so the two of you like are the most well-rounded climber in the world oh, yeah we kill it <laughs> justin wood is crushing it mountains <laughs> right. alpine
0: sports climbing bouldering yeah
1: oh you know I, I actually wanted to ask you um how is it you sort of like stake your territory make your mark and again is that all that important you know because we always play this game of like personal like it shouldn't be for this it should only be for your heart and you know and we all know that there that climbing is a combination of that you know you you want to climb hard and you want to tick grades unless you're you know a, a monk of some sort of like completely removed from com- competitive nature you want to impress your friends at least but then you know if you're involved like you are a little bit with with uh sponsorship then you know you are in this game and particularly bouldering is such this hardcore kind of uh kind of like you know, who's climbing hardest when and what, and there's like maybe a little bit arguments about that sort of stuff. So, cause we, I go from trad climbers to sport climbers and everybody has different motivations, but obviously the grades are a big motivator in those two particular things. So.
0: I think you see that a lot with uh, FAs. Mm-hmm. I think maybe more so in bouldering because they're a little more, potentially more available, right? You're like, go to some area that's full of boulders or you go to Joe's Valley or wherever and you hike a little further, you can find a boulder that no one has climbed on yet. Mm-hmm. So then you get to be involved in developing or doing this first descent. Right. And right. I think in bouldering, I see it a lot in bouldering where people get really into that, like this one's mine and I'm going to do it. Right. And I think that's definitely like is part there, of making your mark. there.
1: Is there a, uh, is there a, ethic like sport climbing about projecting in terms of um you know i don't even know actually if this it it seems like it's gotten a little soft even in sport climbing with people doing other people's projects you know there was the red tag idea which is is was the original sort of thing in in germany of like don't touch this it's mine and then that's where red point came from is then you know uh i believe kurt albert would put a dot a red dot to say this is done everybody can do it but yep. until you saw the red point, you it was not an open project.
0: Yeah, they were circles. They're red. Oh, okay, red circles. I read circles when they right, aid climbs, and then when predominantly Kurt and his crew would free climb them, then they'd fill it in with the red. Okay, yeah.
1: So with with bouldering is 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 there? I mean, what's the ethic there? Like, how does anyone even know?
0: What I think it depends on who you talk to. Right. I personally have no FA ethic. Okay. Which, <clears throat> may get me in trouble a little bit in that uh, I don't feel an ownership of boulders or anything. And I get, I get into it a little bit, too. It's like, of course, it is fun when you find this thing that hasn't been resolved. For me, I think a lot of it for me is a problem solving. And that's where bouldering is so cool. But you find this thing that hasn't yet been resolved. There mm-hmm. is no beta necessarily. You can't watch a YouTube video of how to do this one or whatever. Sure. And kind of that part of like, you get to explore, you get to uncover this thing and try and do it. And it is a fun process. I've done that. I've, I've been able to put up a number of first ascents and it's a really fun process. So I understand that. But then at the same time, I understand that just because I maybe stumbled across this thing first and I spent an hour brushing it, like that doesn't mean I have any rights to it more than anyone else. Uh-huh like we have projects in Little Cottonwood Canyon here in Salt Lake that i've found and brushed and we take the crew up there like to right. try and figure this out like and whoever does it first great like if you do a new problem then you've just given the climbing community another boulder problem like so i think that's part of just part of like contributing to well, the that, community
1: to me it seems you know in terms of the way bouldering works it seems natural that that's the way it should go down with bouldering because like you just said, you bring a, usually your, your guys are climbing in a group, in a crew, whatever. And everybody's giving it a try. And it's not like, you know, as someone's about ready to slap that last hold, they're going to be like, Oh wait, this is Justin's and like leap off and like, Justin brushed it. (laughs) Well,
0: but Justin brushed these slopers. Like I'm about to mantle out. Like, right. Please.
1: But then you get into like, (laughs) okay, well, you know, you guys leave for a week and, and, a bunch of other guys like rush up there and do it. Then maybe I mean it, it, i guess you'd have to sort of decide what your ego is willing to deal with.
0: Yeah, we'd have to slash their tires right. or something.
1: Right. It'd be like the North Shore <laughs> the North Shore of Hawaii or whatever, yeah. like go home, you know, Holly. But yeah. uh Yeah and but it sounds like maybe that's not necessarily like across the board. That's that's you guys so are there is there other
0: folks there who are, are like there are definitely people that think that they Based on effort put in mm-hmm. to either building a landing, which we get a little bit in areas like Joe's Valley, or cleaning, mm-hmm. which you have to do a bit in Little Cottonwood, or even just by having found it, that yeah, they get to, they get to do it first. That's just sort of the first essentialist right. Write. Yeah, and
1: well, that comes over from sport climbing, or yeah, exactly. or to a certain extent, trad climbing, trad climbing, but really sport climbing because it that's that's when the multiple try efforts over months kind of began. I guess it existed here and there, like uh, some of the harder crack climbs in Yosemite, Ray Jardine's projects and things. But he actually introduced the idea of, uh, to a certain extent in the U.S., of working a route. Um, and that's, I think, what maybe people new to climbing or don't realize is that there was a time, you know, in the mid-70s and a lot later and a lot, many places where, trying a route over again even once was like taboo. Um, that's where we get hang dogging. That was originally yeah. a slight. That was like a, 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 you know, some sort of insult. But then you get this crossover to sport climbing where you're a multi-day, multi-month, who knows, multi-year project. That must be, you know, and that ethic sounds similar to what you just said. Like, okay, this one's mine because I found it and cleaned it. And, and, and I think, It seems like maybe that would be much more important um, with, you know, we'll talk a little bit about sponsorship today too, but these, you know, these guys that are trying to make a mark, you know, and they, and maybe their careers in a lot of ways do depend on it. Uh, Maybe they don't have to like always be nailing hard grades, but you know, generally if you want to be sponsored and supported by the industry, you got to be climbing well and hard. And so maybe that's like where it becomes a little bit more of an issue of like, well, I found this potential V whatever 29 and uh, that's, you know, for next century, but whatever they, I need, you know, it's mine. Like, cause this is like going to be a defining moment for me. And it seems, it feels to me then, even though I agreed with your ethic that you started this with, that, that also, I mean, you can understand, like you've sort of like envisioned this thing and, If it's gonna be this defining thing, maybe they should be given a chance to like deal with it.
0: Yeah, I would still argue that no matter who does this amazing thing first, Mm -hmm. it still exists for everyone to do after that. Right. In fact, it becomes open for everyone to do after that. Uh Sometimes it's kinda there's a bit of like a damning effect with an FA, like something that hasn't been done yet, and then all it takes is for one person to do it and then you get maybe four or five people do it right afterward and sure. Like how... That's cool. And so then maybe you, there is some spotlight on like the first guy, right? But right. it's the boulder problem that is so cool. That's why you want to do it, hopefully. Mm-hmm. And the boulder problem is still there. You right. can still do it.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, I'm like i I'm, I'm sort of the devil's advocate because in the sense... I, I've felt that way about sport climbing in the same way because, you know, it's like the tree falls in the forest kind of argument. If you... If for some reason nobody told you you anybody had done it before you, your experience would be exactly the same whether they had or not. And so it's definitely this mental game of of or this ego game of like, well, my experience is ruined because so and so just you know did it yesterday. It's like no, it's the same problem, yeah. you know. And you know unless they went up and changed the route on you for some reason, but that's a whole other ethical issue. So. Yeah, it's, it's a weird thing, but I at the same time, I'm, you know, having bolted sport routes and actually had one incident years ago when I was younger and quite a bit more hot-headed. Uh, someone did climb a route that my friend and I had bolted before we'd done it. And there was some other sort of things involved where I thought, like, he was, like, specifically spiting me. <laughs> right. But it turns out it was miscommunication with my partner, who's a super nice guy. And he was, and when this, this, this dude said, yeah, I'm going to, you know, can I get on your route? You know, and my friend was like, well, yeah, sure. You know, sort of maybe thinking there was understanding that like stupidly, like he has to fall off at the anchor
0: or whatever. Yeah. Well, that's it, right? (laughs) Like, so say you've bolted and cleaned this route and you're trying it and you're getting close and somebody's like, Oh, that looks cool. Can I climb on it? If they're capable to climb up it, Mm mm-hmm. Well, why? Like, just because they were to say jump off at the mm-hmm. chains mm-hmm. without clipping it, then like they s- did it, like, yeah, yeah, like it <laughs> doesn't change. Like, they can do it, right? So now you still get to do it first, right. but really, like, why? Like, you contributed to the climbing community right. by cr- offering up this awesome route. You cleaned and bolted mm-hmm. this route that you will still get credit for having found or cleaned or bolted. I think like a lot of the n- well-known boulders, you know who. Who found them or who cleaned it up or who made the landing, Mm -hmm. who dug it out, you know, because that's really cool. That's a great, that's part of contributing to the climbing community. Like you helped provide more climbing for everyone. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. So it it all seems very logical,
1: but then the ego like messes everything up. It does. And and if you really go back, I mean, it really can probably go all the way back to mountain climbing. And, and within big mountains and alpinism even 100 years ago, being the first person on top has always remained this this thing that humans sort of put some sort of stake on, right? I was the first one. So I'm, I'm just sure it just has all trickled down. Oh, yeah. But with each subsequent type of climbing, it's, it's almost become more absurd. And I think it's probably the most absurd now that you talk about it in bouldering, you know, because at least, you know, with, with – with uh sport climbing, there's a bit of I think there's a lot more work and there's actually some money involved, you know, you've like put your bolts in and everything else. But even as I say that I'm like, if you put up a five eleven and it's like well below your, your pay grade, like who cares whether you climbed it first? Although most I think a lot of people that bolt that kind of thing do sort of bolt them for the masses. But Yeah. Yeah, the hard bouldering is where or hard the hard grades I think is where it gets tricky, where people don't wanna give up their little like moment in the sun
0: and that's it right it's, it's, it's the spotlight moment yeah yeah totally and I've, I've definitely thought about it and like I've worked and done first ascents and been excited to be the first right and so I know that that exists but at the same time I try to realize like in the big picture that, that doesn't matter so much like other people can still do this thing like it wasn't a one and done it's the, right so there's a little bit of a internal struggle, but as far as like what I've worked out for myself, mm-hmm. being the first is not right, that important.
1: Right. So let's uh let's go personal. Um we just kinda rolled in. Um <laughs> but uh you were you grew up in Salt Lake City. Um yep. and how long ago did you start climbing?
0: I was fifteen. Okay. So um, it
1: was like almost twenty years. Yeah,
0: nearly right. nearly twenty years. So I first bouldered in Little Cottonwood Canyon. Okay. So my uncle had been a climber. He had climbed with uh, Ruckmans who who right who wrote kind of the original guidebooks for the area? Right. And he had a pair of EBs mm-hmm. that we found in Grandma's basement and, you know, went up to Little Cottonwoods, some area he had remembered in Little Cottonwood Canyon. And I tried to climb up this slab in EBs, like totally terrifying, like 20 foot granite slab. Right. And yeah, like with Grandpa spotting, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> and so that's like, wow, this is rock climbing? It's like, right. and it's right here. I mean, it was 10 minutes from my house, right? Uh huh. So literally, literally,
1: he was your grandpa. You went up there with your grandpa. Yeah, I went
0: up with my grandpa, my <laughs> cool. uncle. Yeah, nice. <laughs> yeah, little family outing. Nice, <clears throat> and it was rad. I mean, I would already had been in the mountains a lot, I grew up skiing and mm-hmm. in the, those canyons. So to have something to do in the those summer months was great. Right. And then I ended up at the uh, the old front climbing gym, which was out in Sandy back in the day, and had like a week class of sorts. Like this is how you tie knots. This is right. how you climb a little bit, and then. Then I was off. Bought a rope, top rope everything I could with my dad, and that was like the summer uh-huh. summer activity. Yeah.
1: Well, and you, and you, you know, throwing you back twenty years, like bouldering up there and bouldering and climbing has always existed. Um, bouldering up there has existed for a really long time. But at the same time, you know, the that puts you basically kind of ground floor for what has become sort of bouldering as we know it now. This this movement. You know, I've said this on the show before, and most people probably understand this, but twenty, thirty, forty years ago, bouldering was this subset of like almost what you did you know when you couldn't go climbing and training for climbing. and like Blues, huge circuits were seen as these ways to do big climbs only on boulders where yeah. you do move after move. so but you're here at the foot of a place that's like becomes one of the you know one of the zones for this kind of new wave of bouldering. Um, did you have any, did you guys and your friends and as you got into that, have any sense of that over the last like decade or decade and a half?
0: I don't think when I got into it at all, we just, little Cottonwood had good trad climbing and good bouldering. Mm -hmm. So after school you'd go up and you would, if I were alone, I would just go up and and boulder. Mm -hmm. If I could get a buddy, we'd go trad climb. There's all these nice multi-pitch, easy five, six, five, seven climbs that that's kind of what I started doing. And then in big Cottonwood Canyon you had some bolted sport routes, so you would do that as well. Right. There wasn't really any choice of discipline. You just would go climbing. Sure. And all this stuff. But then as it, it was maybe kind of a cool time frame. So you had a lot of the guys, you know, you have Boone Speed and Mike Call and Mike Beck and some of that, like, they're kind of the original crew and a a number of other guys putting up boulder problems in Little Cottonwood and like pushing it. Mm You know, like Copperhead and a number of others that, at The time we're like, you know, they're like V10 and that's really hard. And I was definitely a young, I was quite a bit younger, but it's been cool in that I have kind of grown up with the climbing and gone to know all those guys and climb with them now. And it's so I'm like just close enough to kind of like be in a lot of the uh, the development, right? Like, get to see the evolution of, of yeah, it. Yeah, like that you sort of
1: bridged a generation in a sense, like to it sounds like to a certain extent, especially that you were, you know, you learned to climb at least the basics you learned in a gym. So we got that sort of generational bridge. Yep. And then maybe riding the backs of these guys that were older than you but had had sort of kicked the door open especially with sport climbing like up in AF and and um, you know, putting bolts in around the state. Yeah. Like those guys are sort of the the guys who who kind of started that and, you know, were putting up the first really like hard 513 and 514 climbs around the state. So, um, so yeah, I'm just trying to kind of position you. So you, you sound like you do multiple disciplines, but you found, um, you found bouldering to be something that was particularly, uh, something that drew you in a particular sense. Can you talk at all about that? Because again, one of the conceits on the show is that I don't boulder and to a certain extent it's true. Like I've never just personally, I've never kind of like felt that fire that you need to do well at it because really to do well at it and, and push yourself. Like there's a certain amount of, you just really have to go deep, you know? And I don't, and the motivation for me to do that within that context for some reason, just hasn't sparked. And, uh, but I always like to talk to people about it to find out like what it is about it that sparks them. So what do you think maybe drew you towards that discipline versus, you know, following the Ruckman's lead down to Indian Creek or or whatnot?
0: Yeah, I think, having the access so i have good opportunity to boulder close by so it can be an option but for me personally i think a lot of the uh the problem solving nature of climbing is really interesting so i get into that quite a lot and bouldering is just like that to a t right like it's all the minutia of the problem solving especially little cottonwood where i learned to boulder the granite it's a it's a lot like the Yosemite granite it's mm-hmm. pretty slick. you stand on some awful feet sometimes it's a matter of stepping on the foot a half inch to the left as opposed to to the right that makes a difference or how you grab this thing or the holds are slopy and mm-hmm. so that's all kind of fun and also for me the I think I'm inclined towards strength based pursuits. I don't know if it's a muscle fiber thing i'm all all fast twitch like lifting the car off the baby is awesome that's that's all i want to do i want to like deadlift i want to boulder <laughs> so have you think... had
1: an opportunity to, to lift a car off a baby no i've uh, never yeah. yet yeah. found a baby under a
0: car but i'm ready yeah okay cool i feel ready <laughs> hang out here tonight here in the
1: <laughs> here where we are in the uh the, the the hinterlands of salt lake you you might get an opportunity to lift something off of someone i'll keep an eye out for sure i'll stay loose yeah, so you have, you have a math degree. Yeah. Like pure math that you pure said.
0: mathematics, yeah. I don't know what that means. I'm not sure I do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Five years at the university. Right. Uh yeah, that also ties in maybe to my inclination to problem solving. Well, yeah, that's what I, I when yeah. you said that word, I was like, Well, basically that's
1: that's math, you know. Yeah. And it's and it's also minutia, so oh, totally. it, it fits
0: there. So Yeah, somehow I The physical aspect, mixing the physical is way more fun than just keeping it all cerebral. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The math, I started to grow a little weary of the math by the end, but finished the degree and uh, have not put it to use. Right.
1: So what do you think made you uh, choose the sort of climbing life for the time being as opposed to... I mean, I've heard that a lot from people who, who get these very academic degrees and basically at the end of five, four, six, whatever, however many years it takes, all you're going to do is step into some other job that basically reflects exactly what you've been doing. And so a lot of people put the brakes on and they're like, okay, I got that out, you know, but geez, I got to go do something else. So what, what do you think, maybe I just crystallized it there, but what do you think made you choose this sort of climbing life? Uh, A lot of road trips, a lot of traveling around, um, maybe not having very much money, you know, the, the typical kind of thing for you.
0: I'm not sure what, what exactly did it other than maybe just that, like you, if you've ever been on a road trip, (laughs) they're pretty (laughs) awesome. (laughs) They're better than working. Right. (laughs) So like, yeah, it, it happened early on for me, like definitely just about starting university Like, it took me a couple pushes. I'd take some semesters off from university to to travel, to come back and try and hit it again. Just, yeah, being on the road, I really became enthralled with the climbing lifestyle, Mm -hmm. the community of people that you could find. I bought a van and spent most of my 20s kind of driving around seasonally from, like, Squamish in the summers and down to Waco in the winters, and we would be in Bishop for a lot of the winters. and. You're just hanging out with all your buddies and you're doing this thing you love to do every day. Mm-hmm. And so that became the goal. Then everything else was, well, how can I facilitate maintaining this? Right. And it's, well, I have to take some semesters off of university because school's not helping. Right. <laughs> or it's like, I have to, I worked construction my last uh, couple of years in university, was uh, doing remodeling and building houses. Mm-hmm. And you'd work on a project and make money. And then I would take off. Go, go to Waco for a couple months or go to Spain or go to France and then come back and get on another project and build a house and leave again. So just
1: one it, after the other.
0: Yeah, that was sort of sort of the program. I was homeless as it is, you know, for, for quite a while, living in the van and house-sitting, and sleeping in friend's backyards, just parking the van wherever or in the van on the road or traveling. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, just kind of no permanent address more than, you know, we say homeless, but yeah, I yeah. guess
1: yeah, because that all, that has all sorts of baggage with it, and, yeah,
0: and maybe sort of feels sometimes like it, it
1: it you know demeans what it really means to be like sh- up the creek without a paddle, you right. know, and, and and really homeless, because so, it's a joke, obviously, yeah, because most of us climbers, you know, we're homeless, but the tomorrow we could we have the means to to deal with that, yeah, so. I shop at Whole Foods, right, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so. so. Yeah, and it's it's funny you say that because I've always been a little like I've joked around about it, but it's a it's a loaded phrase to say that you're homeless as a climber. Yeah. So no permanent address, a much better way to put it. Yeah, so, right. What's your status now?
0: <clears throat> With permanent address. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I started renting a room. Uh, probably, I might be getting on. I'm probably two and a half years, maybe three years Dang. of yeah, like regular rent. Right. Non stop every month, even when I'm gone. Okay. It's awesome. Right on. All, all my stuff is always there. Did it, you it's not in bins anymore. It's like hanging in a closet. Well let me ask you this though, because I, I find
1: this is a pretty common problem too, is that did you somehow feel like you were letting yourself down when you finally like committed to like a lease or anything? I think like a lot of the like true road dogs have this like pride in like, I don't have an address, I don't have any stuff. Yeah. Like and then it always, well, not always, you know, most of us, it eventually creeps in and you're like, okay, I'm going to get a place to live and yeah. maybe it'd be nice to have a television for when I'm here. And, you know, and so did you have any of that feeling or were you like, oh, I'm stoked. Let's, let's. I was I was all in. Okay. Once good. I
0: had a room and like my, my kitchen stuff was like I had a right. kitchen first right. of all and it's <laughs> things more in than a one burner. Yeah, you could, you
1: could have two things going at once.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was epic. I was like, wow, what have I, I, I been my doing?
1: And fry my egg at the same time.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, I was definitely ready for it, which I think was helpful. Right. Yeah, there was no regret. And yeah, just still kind of keeping it just light enough to still travel, right? still be able to like go away for a month Uh or more. Like, uh you know, I've done a couple, two month and more trips where I still keep the place. Like that's fine. That's not not an issue. It's cool. So after you've done that a time or two, you're like, all right, it'll be all right. Mm -hmm. You know, for a long time, I didn't have the means to do that. It was like, it was just to get to the next trip. Sure. So you didn't want to have any strings attached. You did not want to be spending money somewhere you didn't need it or whatever. Right. so in terms of laying roots
1: down too, um, although your roots have always been here in Salt Lake City, mm-hmm. but you're also, I mean, involved in these advocacy groups um, and do a lot of work with that. Can you sort of maybe talk about that and talk about like the the climbing scene here? I mean, Salt Lake City, it's it's like the it's a climbing mecca to a certain extent. But I, I think that there's a little bit of a inferiority complex, like you, you don't get spoken of in the same group as Boulder and you know some of these other places and yet it's yeah. uh, it, it's always been this hotbed of climbing and it's there's cutting edge stuff here and around and and uh
0: anyway for sure. we're a little more underspoken maybe sure but we probably are the b team yeah you know <laughs> boulder boulder kind of regularly brings the, the top and right the cream in and <laughs> we have a ton that's what's so cool i think salt lake for a long time like you were saying has been a hotbed ever since like AF started getting bolted and we started having the snowbird Mm -hmm. comp where you'd get international folks come out and then they would develop roots when they were here. And it always kind of had that community. It had a, it's always had a really good community. It must've
1: been quite a blow when one of the Ruckmans moved to Boulder though. Oof.
0: Yeah. We don't talk about it. (laughs) No, we've all thought about it. (laughs) I've even had my moments. I flirted with moving to Boulder. I even had a room ready. (laughs)
1: but I just I didn't do it and they couldn't come up with a girlfriend for you you were like I'm out of here <laughs> well, I, I don't know it seems like they have they have a lot going on out there yeah, right anyway <laughs> I should go the Whole Foods right. out there <laughs> just sit in the aisles wait yeah see what I can yeah. find the right way to pretend to grab the same box of quinoa yeah. with
0: someone oh oh, oh is that your that? favorite kombucha yeah. flavor too mmm oh, that ginger berry is so good <laughs> anyway alright you got game yeah, but anyway yeah. so back to the Salt Lake City oh uh, yeah um yeah i do definitely feel like i have have roots here and mm-hmm. it was it's been great to sort of grow up i was pretty young 15 start climbing and being involved and yeah i think that the community is really tight and it is kind of underground like and every that's a lot of the there are so many good climbers in salt lake mm-hmm. and you don't often hear about them but the level is always being pushed so there's really good kind of in a friendly competition way right to bring bring the level to it's a pretty high level in general in salt lake you know really i would say boulder would be the only city that has some like has the per capita v10 sending any right. higher right exactly
1: well you know boulder is not a huge town um i mean it's not a huge city it's a big big pretty big place, but. You know, there is that, I think that's probably a problem is that this place is like this kind of, you know, giant urban center and, and we just don't associate these outdoor pursuits with these big giant cities, but like, you know, when I had Peter Metcalf on from, from Black Diamond, like he was specific about, we decided to move here because it had both. It had this big urban center, international airport, you know, uh, industrial center. We could
0: get whatever we needed and Oh, boom, there's all this stuff to do like right there yeah i i say that to people all the time it is the best city closest to mountains right. we have the best proximity climbing of any city mm-hmm. in the u.s i would say right and so yeah so it's been great and i always loved coming back it was i think i maybe there were times where i looked for other places to live when i was on the road like maybe you know i could maybe i could be here here mm-hmm. maybe i would live here but nothing ever called to me as much as salt lake did and it could could just be like my history with it and my family and everything, but I've just loved it. And mm-hmm. so as I've continued to climb here and have it be the home base, I feel a real connection to it all. And so that's where I've gotten involved with the Solid Climbers Alliance. So I'm currently on the board with the Solid Climbers Alliance, and I've been helping sort of liaison the uh, Joe's Valley happenings. So we've been working with Joe's in Joe's Valley, trying to get some permanent campgrounds, some mm-hmm. permanent toilets get a little bit of minor infrastructure going down there working with the land managers working with the local community to get a a sustainable system going on down there how's that being received really well yeah oh yeah emory county loves it cool for the most part everybody down there loves it the land managers are super psyched with with what we as the climbers alliance are bringing Mm -hmm. to the table and how organized we are and what how we've gotten it moving, we've really sort of like pushed a few things through right just by like bringing it or like bringing it up and we have we have meetings we have it seems like about quarterly or every other month seems like we have meetings down in Emory county at the courthouse and talk to the different groups and we did an assessment an environmental sort of assessment of climbing, mm-hmm. and then they've done they've continued to push that program and we'll we'll see some campgrounds and some toilets down there in the very near future,
1: right. Are there a bunch of old school boulders that are going to get all mad at you for putting campgrounds in?
0: They're not mad at me yet. Okay. <laughs> no, we just have that <laughs> I problem know, in.
1: Yeah. Indi- I, I'm on the Friends of Indian Creek board, and uh, we have this problem of uh, anytime we we do any improvement, somebody gets really mad at us because they they have to shit in a toilet instead of out in the creek. Yeah, you know that that upsets them. That it upsets their sense of uh, sense of. Um, connection with the desert I guess I'm not sure Yeah, but yeah so I was just curious with the, I mean b- bouldering is a relatively new thing on the level it is now um, so you're not dealing with like crusty people from the 70s like we are so
0: but no, anyway yeah. good luck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah thanks yeah hopefully we can find a balance of some open nature for uh, morning wanderings right. and just some free camping it's yeah. nice to especially for those that have had that experience down there mm-hmm. like you want to preserve some of that you want yeah. to be able to to have that but at the same time it, is, it kind of reaches a tipping point where you have to have some infrastructure you know we, ca- we saw it happen in bishop a little bit with with the pit and other things like you, you can have free-for-all for a while but it's not sustainable and it's best to put something in place that you want Otherwise, someone else is going to put something in place, and you might not be that happy with right. what they decide. So. Yeah, totally. No, I mean, that's just the key thing is that, you
1: know, there is always a tipping point because <clears throat> these places are great. Yeah. And and they all go through this, like, this uh a, this common arc where the first people found it, and it was their secret place. And then they told a few people, and then they told a few people, and then some pictures get taken, and then it gets on the Internet, and, like... Boom, boom, boom! That used to happen over, you know, decades. Now, yeah. with with the internet, it happens really quickly. And then, yeah, then you either lose it or you gotta you gotta step up and take care of it. And I think the land managers, generally, although we haven't had as as much luck with that down um, down south of Moab there, um, but generally they're like, oh, you, you're gonna take care of this and and do it right, and we don't have to like. That sounds good, you know. Uh, yeah. They, like I said, we we haven't really had that much luck with that down in Indian Creek, but you know we have an okay relationship with those guys down there too. But that requires you to be here to
0: a certain extent, right? <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's a little tricky. In fact, I I might be getting in trouble a little bit. I keep missing board meetings, so <laughs> I might be on the on my way out. Right. But it's that like I'm gone. I am gone There's quite a lot. Coup. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know what they're gonna say at the next meeting. But that's I. Yeah,
1: I have the same problem. We actually we have a weird thing because um Indian Creek is like it's you know Moab's got this big climbing community, but there traditionally there wasn't a climbing community when when most of Indian Creek was developed. Moab didn't you know had a handful of people. A lot of them very hermitish in their their climbing endeavors, and so. It feels like, I mean, the running joke is it's, you know, it's Colorado's best crag. And it feels like maybe there's not as much of a central scene that you can rely on a town, a city. Um, And actually, at the moment, I'm not even, uh, I think right now we have a couple board members from Moab. But there was a time when I'm not sure we had anybody from Moab actually on our board. And, you know, I don't know what that says about the climbing community there. but. Um, it was a little tricky you know all of us like having to come in for meetings it still is because I yeah. live in Colorado and everything else so right. I feel your pain about missing meetings yeah. so <laughs> I'm, I'm, I might not be on the board either anymore I don't know actually <laughs> <laughs> I'm leaving it on my resume for the moment dude. yeah so. well me too one of the things you know when we're talking about Salt Lake City uh, I read a little a lot about training and about you know you've got a, you've got a couple amazing gyms here um, with like really ridiculous bouldering and training areas. And then um, something that's come up on the show before uh, briefly, a brief mention for only the most acute listeners um, on a show with uh, Nick Berry was the Shrimp Shrine. Can you tell me about the Shrimp Shrine? Because it it seems to play into lore here in the Valley.
0: Yeah, so the Shrimp Shrine, it's sort of maybe an infamous training zone. Rumors circulate throughout Salt Lake City. Uh, I think also Salt Lake has had a good history of woodies. Is something going to happen to you if you
1: tell me about this place?
0: Well, something might happen to you (laughs) if I tell you about this place. A little red dot appears (laughs) on your forehead. (laughs) (laughs) Now, so we like back in the day. So once again, like we're like uh, some of the pioneers of climbing, they were living in, in a climber house. I believe the one, the first was maybe the slab. There's an old woody. There's actually parts of it at the, uh, momentum mill creek they have kind of this woody wall that's hanging up like a museum piece but uh then dave bell and others were involved with the body shop which was kind of one of the first gyms in town actually the story so the story i've heard is somebody had gone over to europe i believe they were in like climbing the era or england potentially or both i'm sure and uh pete they were climbing on boards and everybody's climbing on boards and he's like oh this is sick so he comes back to salt lake and they built a board in there in their house so I think we may have we've kind of had boards as part of our training history mm-hmm. so Dave Bell had the body shop and then it went into other gyms we've had the rock creation we've had the front came in which was phenomenal and momentum and now the front is doubly big and triply incredible and momentum built another gym that's just epic but um <clears throat> we've always kind of kept something going on, on the side so Dave Bell had this house downtown we built a wall in it and we called it the crimp shrine so it was an addition on a house that was zoned for commercial use and it was this crazy like church thing going on Uh like super freaky drawings on the walls like giant like flying eyeballs and things like the carpet was super nasty some maybe some kind of i don't who even knows like your imagination can run wild with what kind of rituals yeah rituals were were happening in in this place right (laughs) So that's where we built our climbing wall. <laughs> Perfect. And yeah, then it got dubbed the uh the Crimp Shrine. Uh-huh. It was in the, the church space there. So the Crimp Shrine was great and went on for, for a number of years. Great training there. We had a forty five degree board just covered in holds that never moved. We ended up getting a moon board, one of the first moon boards. Mm-hmm. Ben Moon was a buddy and he had sent over kind of some of the first hold sets and so we had the moon board early on, campus board but uh, that house ended up you know, going on the market and being sold, and so the Crim shrine had to move. Um, so we have this crew that we call the Shrine Crew that were kind of active in training there. Steve Mache was a founding member of the Shrine Crew. And yeah,
1: he's actually received a mention on the show as well. All right, yeah. In, in reference to his abs.
0: Oh, yeah. Impressive abs, uh, delts. Uh, traps a number of other impressive (laughs) items (laughs) all right (laughs) yeah i'll google search image google search that one (laughs) although he's pretty reticent you may not find any um anyway he's training guru in town so we moved it into his shed which was much smaller ergo the shrimp Shrimp shrine. shrine okay so we trained there for a number of years and the, gr- the crew really distilled down to like maybe five of us because uh-huh. it was a little shed not a lot of us fit in there <laughs> so that's where we kind of like would come up with training ideas and run programs on ourselves and we'd write and facilitate these like different hang routines or whatever it may be so we run the moon board in there and some systems boards and whatnot the campus board kind of came off of the garage off the front of the garage it was rad uh, then we rented a space downtown where we got to build out the shrine again. We had that for a number of months, and we're right now in a shrine transition period. Oh, Shit, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've been without shrine, it's on shrine, for a few months. Oh which my god, it's been really hard. I know. You know that they're still climbing in Boulder, like they are. At, they're still
1: hammering over there. You guys got to get back really? on the program. <laughs>
0: This is just our down period.
1: Where is it like stored away lovingly? Yeah, yeah like- so it was stored
0: in our buddy, another good member, a shrine crew member. Ronnie Jenkins has a basement right. that that was working as the uh, shrine storage. So now. You guys he- go over there and
1: like pour a 40 out every once in a while. Yeah,
0: we got to go touch the holds. Like you got to keep it kind of like caress it just enough. Can't let the power leave it, you know? Uh, but he has a, he now has a garage where the shrine will be resurrected. Okay, excellent. Like recently. Yeah, that, okay. that, this just happened. Oh, nice. This week. That's it It's breaking be... news.
1: <laughs> yeah, don't tell. Awesome. All right, well.
0: That's the, hist- that's the history of
1: the shrine. Yeah, I was going to mention you were looking a little soft when you walked yeah, in. Yeah, so. I, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, that's what they were telling me. The shrine crew, we got a group text yeah. too. And yeah. I've been getting hit with that. <laughs> They've been pinging me. <laughs> pudgy yeah,
1: it sounds like it's actually a big part of the shrine crew is to uh try to sort of slag each other
0: off to motivate one another oh yeah <laughs> it's serious that's why we started the uh, group text right <laughs> yeah inappropriate probably to uh to publish but uh, yeah, yeah don't let lots get of a hold slagging it yeah. lots of slagging off for sure
1: so talking about we we started off where we were talking about first ascent um and the ethics in bouldering and a little bit about guys wanting to kind of make their mark and uh you're you have some sponsors um i don't know how much that fits into maintaining your lifestyle um or let me ask you that where does that fit into sort of maintaining this like climbing lifestyle
0: there is no financial uh help Mm -hmm. from sponsors right so i mean i maintain my climbing lifestyle but it's a huge help to get product right right so black diamond Mm -hmm. is a sponsor of mine and i will crush some crash pads. I'll go through them, you know, and gear in general. Right. Sport climb. And so Black Diamond hooks it up with that. And they're awesome. And that helps immensely. Like anywhere I don't have to, you know, spend extra funds, that's right, great. Right, right. Right, but, and so uh, Bayal ropes I climb on, they hook it up, and 5'10 uh, shoes. Right. Which yeah. are, yeah, rad. Love it. And it's great to, to be able to receive product. But uh, what I think, like sponsorship-wise, I think that's a what's well, obviously it's a marketing tool, right? So you you need to be giving back. The companies are helping you and they're giving you things, but you need to be giving back to them. And so, I think sponsorship is it's a cool way to be involved mm-hmm. with the climbing community, right? I mean, I want to go to events. I want to go be involved with the community. I want to do things much like with the climbers alliance like i want to do you know we do trail days bolt replacement whatever like that's something that i want to do to help give back and i like being an ambassador for these companies because i it's a small way that i get to sort of be involved they help to be involved mm-hmm. right even if it's just through being able to interact with people or like use a product and give feedback and whatever that may be like that's for me that's really cool. Involvement with the with the climbing community in general,
1: yeah, it's it's you know the the sponsorship thing has always been this like hobgoblin in, in climbing, and we've we've sort of never dealt with it in the way I think that like skateboarding or surfing or you know they're fully on board, and climbing it still is this like sellout idea or whatever, and it's also can be seen as cynical, like I get free this or I get free that or more often it's like that guy gets, that guy doesn't deserve free this or free that, you know, because <laughs> uh, what has he ever done? Yeah, But I think that's like the missing component. And even the, the sort of support that this podcast gets, it's, it is, it is this interesting feeling of like this, another level of community. And from the outside looking in, I guess sometimes it can be seen as elitism. Like we have our little group um and you get to like go and hang out with Tommy Caldwell or whatever. I don't know. Do you? I don't. Oh, okay.
0: <laughs> I, I saw him in Font this spring. We did hang out uh, a little right bit on the street. Right on, yeah. Some rain days. We had coffee, time or two. <laughs> Nevertheless,
1: um, there is this aspect, and, and I, I guess uh, even just reminding me of it is that, yeah, it's like this sort of, um, this way into the community to a certain extent. Because so few of these sponsored climbers, yourself, are actually getting any sort of financial support. It's almost all product. And and then it's and then it can be very limited amounts of that, you know, so to speak. So Yeah. Um but the reason I asked you that was kind of like to fit into your to see how it fit into your lifestyle. I think a lot of listeners are always interested about how people make it work, quote unquote, to be climbers, you know, and not necessarily have to do a work a day job or whatnot. Um but also in your opinion, um in within bouldering, within sport climbing, you know, what do you think it, it takes to kinda make your mark and whether that leads to sponsorship or not. But, um, you know, you have sort of a name, um, associated with climbing. Well, climbing hard, um, you have this name that's associated with Salt Lake city, but what does it take? Do you think to like, I don't know, make your mark. And is that important? Do you think it's important to kind of, you know, do something that, that people set up and pay attention
0: to within climbing? first thought would be like oh but you have to like put up boulder problems right like have your name associated with these things Mm -hmm. and that's that's cool too if you have the opportunity to do that that's great i think more than anything being involved in your community either locally or globally that leaves an impressive mark to me and that's it's so cool i mean that's that was really what kind of took swept me up i think i would travel around and meet all these people and Hung out with this dude in France under a boulder one day when it was raining, and you know we're chatting, and we climbed a bit and exchanged info. And then he came and lived in my house for three months. And we climbed all over the states, you know. And right. Then I lived with him in Grenoble. And like that has happened to me multiple times. So that's not like a one-off. Like that happens all the time. Mm-hmm. I can roll. Like one time, rolled up to the campground in Sierra. Right. Like wasn't planning on going to Sierra. Went down there just to the weather was right. Like cruise around, see who's here. Oh, like here are all these people I know, mm-hmm. like being able to have a community kind of wherever you go. That was such a cool part for me about climbing. And that, I think encouraged me to continue to do it just to continue to be on the road and travel. And I think that is being integrated like that is it's kind of how, maybe how I've left my mark, I guess.
1: Right. Um, I'm gonna finish up with some tech questions here, some okay. sort of like specific questions. Aside from font, because that's gonna be the obvious a- answer. What's uh, what's your favorite bouldering in the world?
0: Well, it's gonna to have to be Little Cottonwood Canyon. All right, good job. That's the backyard. That's the yeah home base, and it really is amazing. So I mean, it has the quality and it's really good, but it just has all the personal history.
1: Mm-hmm. How's your uh, how's the the keeping it clean going? I was here to help work on that this summer. Oh, yeah. So, you guys can, you guys, able to keep the uh, graffiti at bay up there oh, lately? Dude.
0: No, the graffiti is brutal. We need to, yeah. We need to come up with some way. Ambush.
1: Electrical fences.
0: Oh, man. I don't know. We need to get them, though. Spray right. paint their faces. Kind of like make them walk around town all week with spray paint <laughs> on their faces. That'd be good. That's what I'm going to do. If I catch any those guys... Spray-painting their faces. I don't know if right. that's illegal or not. I don't know if they press charges. So. I don't think it's, I don't think it is at all. I'm spray-painting their faces, if you're listening. It's like those dudes <laughs> in Mad Max. Yeah. Yeah, totally. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get them. <laughs> well, that
1: sucks, yeah. I, I, we, we were here for the the rock project, and mm-hmm. um, it is a feeling of like, just how could you possibly How can you stop it, you know? That's
0: insane. Well, that's one thing, like we're saying, Salt Lake Lake is a big-ish city, and it's right against the mountains. So it's not like you're out in this remote area. I mean, you get to escape into nature in Mm -hmm. 10 minutes. So Mm -hmm. we're not the only group that escapes into nature, and some people want to spray paint the boulders for some reason.
1: Yeah, well, it's just, yeah, it's sort of a a rage that teenagers have, I think, is what it comes down to. Um, I mean, that's really, people get kind of bent out of shape about the, the closing of the loop road in red rocks and, and how it, you know, it's one way so they can sweep everybody out of there, but that's all of where that comes from is they have to close it because it's too close to Vegas and it would be trashed and it sucks. We climbers think, well, why we should be able to, cause we won't, but they don't know the difference, you know, and the place would be completely annihilated if it was if it was just open all night it'd be just like raging out there yeah so, but that's just that's just the fallout you know and i know you guys don't have that option but um it i think i when i was here and 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 just sitting there thinking about it, i'm like god how do you possibly deal with this you know you can beg you can put up signs that like beg people just hey come on man just like don't spray paint but that's just going to make someone spray paint the fucking sign you <laughs> yeah. know you'll just have like a big dick like on the sign before like yeah. it's there for two weeks or whatever so
0: yeah i, I don't envy that particular problem that no, you guys it have is unfortunate here. we've had a number of cleanups The like Sully climbers alliance mm-hmm. we'll do a bunch of cleanups we found a product that works pretty well and we'll go out there and brush it up but yeah they hit the thing is we have so many boulders and they're pretty easy access so some of the classic boulder problems and some of the classic hard boulder problems are right on the trail. Mm -hmm. So they get hit. And man, the feet are already bad enough. You spray paint paint those feet, you're not going to stand on anything. Yeah, you can have two grades. It's the pre and post spray paint. Oh, oh, I I sent that one when it was spray painted. Oh, no way. (laughs) Sick. (laughs) Well, and and actually,
1: you know, and that stuff that that elephant snot or whatever it's Mm -hmm. called, it like takes the paint off. But I think repeated dosages of that's probably not going to, it's going to start to get the thing all... Slicked out with some other
0: funk. Yeah, bunk, yeah. and generally aggressively brushing yeah. over and Scrubbing, over the same yeah. spots is. I
1: mean, yeah. can't help it. Well, maybe those guys up in Oregon to come down and guard your boulders for you. <laughs> yeah.
0: Let them take over that <laughs> we area. We need a little militia, <laughs> a little cottonwood militia. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I don't know if you guys want to go there. <laughs> Probably um, not.
1: <clears throat> my last question for somebody who, you know, sort of voluntarily uh decided to become an advocate uh what would your advice to anybody out there in the because you just talked about how like being a part of this climbing community is the most important thing for you and whatever sort of tendrils you put out in that climbing community seem to come back to you with positive things um so what would you say to folks out there who who have this this idea of of wanting to become not just a local climber but part of like an advocacy group um you know, was it easy for you to decide or put the time in? Or is it something that you, I mean, obviously you have a problem getting to those yeah, meetings. I still so. have a problem putting yeah. the
0: time in, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I tried to uh, withhold a bit before becoming involved just because I was never in town. Mm-hmm. So once I finally felt like I was in town a little more, I became involved and yeah, it's still a little tricky, but I think any involvement you can have on any levels helpful. Right. I think that, I think the, people that that really get into climbing and climb are outside and enjoy it you can't help but get it have a respect for it all and i think once once that takes place then and people want to be involved right that's the hope right like you're not gonna make anybody do it right <laughs> i mean yeah a lot like training i get that's it, all the time like like oh i need to do this or that i hate hangboarding right (laughs) definitely don't hangboard then (laughs) right because that's not gonna help you know so i i just think from my personal experience seems like if you are out there if you you travel and climb and get involved i think that the desire to do that more will only grow Mm -hmm.
1: cool well thanks for sitting down justin uh, it was a real pleasure to meet you. We just actually met when you walked through the door. Yep. Um, and uh, but yeah, it's really nice to talk to you. And, and uh, I think you're kind of like, um, you know, there's this there's this old school thing in climbing where there's where there's someone who brings a lot of intellect to the to the sport. Um, you know, even though you said you're a very physical sort of guy, it's nice to talk to someone who's got this balance where you're also this uh, sort of thoughtful intellectual kind of end of things and and the sport just seems to appeal to folks like that so yeah, it's good that, must, that you're carrying that must, the torch
0: must be from my math degree yeah
1: <laughs> the math degree yeah, is what it, what it is that really
0: did it for me yeah <laughs> thanks justin yeah man thank you First off, I am 35 years old, I am divorced, and I live in a van down by the river.